we continue our study we continue our study with Philippians and we're looking today at Philippians 2:17 through 30 the section that we're going to look at today is going to be on the screen and we're going to start off by reading that models of joyful service Philippians 2:17 to 30 you can follow along on the screen or open up your Bible and look and follow along. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share your joy. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to, Christ, to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served me in the preaching of the good news. I hope to send him to you as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile... I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him. And also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you. For I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy. And give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. You know, in our body, we have something that um, is a somewhat of a celebration. Um, it's a celebration of each one of you. Every year, during the course of the year, you have a birthday. Some of you have uh, anniversaries. Well, I brought along today a copy of what we currently have, and I'd like you to check it and make sure that we have the right date, you know, because it'd be ter terrible to get a birthday, happy birthday greeting in February when your birthday's in July. <laughs> anyway, so just check and make sure that you have, you have the right date on there for you and uh, an anniversary. And if it's not there, please add it. We'd, we'd love to have that in there so that on the first 
on the first Sunday in January, we can have a whole bunch of those sheets you can take home and remember each other's birthdays and anniversaries. The church has a lot of factors in it. The church has a lot of parts to it. And if you look at the book of Acts, you see that some of those parts are worship, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, etc. The common denominator in all of these various aspects of the church is people. We have to remember that the people are critical to the church. The people make the church, the people break the church. People are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not brick and mortar. The church is human bodies dwelling together. So, as you think about it, people are critical. People break and make the church. When Paul wanted to send someone to make or break Philippi, he looked around and he had, he had to look at a whole selection of people in Rome that were with, with him. And he said, you know what? I don't, I don't find anybody here I can send back to Philippi. There's nobody that I know in the Roman church that I work with, that I fellowship with, that I can send back to, to Philippi. So it reminds us in your notes, you might want to take those out. Point number one, people make the difference. Paul made the following assessment as he looked around him. He said in verse 2, verses 20 and 21, he said, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. They all seek after their own interests. All of the leaders in Rome, Paul said that none of them had the same kindred spirit as he did, and they would not care for the brothers and sisters in Philippi. They just wouldn't do it. They, they wouldn't have that same passion or compassion. He indicated that they all seek after their own interests and not the interests of Christ Jesus. You know, and, and I, I realize that for some, that's a, boy, that's a, that's a, a pretty negative thing to have, have read about you. Although he didn't write their names there, but he could have. He could have. There's other places where Paul writes the names of people for stuff. For stuff that's happening or stuff that they've done. He wasn't saying that they'd lost their way. He wasn't saying that their preaching and teaching was false doctrine. No, he was simply recognizing that they did not have the same passion as he did. And as a result, he did not feel that they would best represent the mission or care for the Philippian believers like it was needed. Paul knew... Paul knew that Timothy and Epaphroditus would care for them. Paul knew that they had the same passion, the same purpose, the same motivation, the same care as he did for the Philippian believers. So he knew that they were the best to send. In the passage before us today, Paul identifies three individuals 
who reflect joyful service, and he lays those out for us. The three are Paul himself, a prisoner in his own rented home and quarters, able to continue his work. However, he was constantly tied to a praetorian guard all day long. Then there was Timothy. Timothy, who was the apostle's son in the faith. And then there's Epaphroditus, who was a member of the church at Philippi and had been sent to Paul with a financial gift for him and sent to minister to the apostle Paul. So the three people that are listed in this passage are Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. All three passionately, passionately were devoted to Jesus Christ. And they were not consumed with their own interests. They were consumed with the interests of Christ and his church. For the sake of Jesus Christ, all three had risked their health, their freedom, and their very life. Each one had a distinct special characteristic and a unique calling. Each one of them. They all lived out that calling in a special way. They all lived that calling out in a unique way. Paul wasn't Timothy. Timothy wasn't Epaphroditus. They were their individual selves. And they lived that way. So let's look at them and let's ask what it is that Paul says about these three people, including himself. And then we're going to end the service by asking, what would Paul think of you? And I'll try not to meddle too much. <laughs> Point number two, Paul. Paul. Paul primarily reflects leadership. Leadership. That's what he did. That's what he does. Philippians 2, 17 and 18, it says the following. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith... I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul writes, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, to reflect the fact that he was being offered as a libation, as a sacrifice for their faith. Service, it's interesting. Service in the Greek is the word liturgeo, which is commonly used of a religious service. It's where we get our English word liturgy. So Paul was being sacrificed on the liturgy of their faith. Selfless service for Christ is a sacrifice only in the sense of being an offering to God. When people think of sacrificing to God, they think, well, what, where's, where's the loss? What am I giving up? You're not giving up anything. There is no loss. When you, when you give a sacrifice to the Lord, there's only benefit in that. It is never a sacrifice in the sense of being a loss. It's always a blessing. Any time and every time a sacrifice is made to the Lord, be it financial or material, your time, your talents, doesn't matter. The one sacrificing always gains greater from the sacrifice. Not the one who's not sacrificing. 
In fact, there's this weird idea that if I sacrifice, I'm going to lose. And the worldly thought is if I give it up, I'm going to lose. No, you give it up, you gain more than whatever you gave up. So in a way, it's, it's not even a sacrifice. It's a blessing and results in great rejoicing. The most intriguing and admirable quality for a leader, for Paul, is having a godly life for others to emulate. Having a godly life for others to emulate. Jesus is the believer's supreme example. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, he says, The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. The 17th century Puritan Thomas Brooks, he said, example is the best rhetoric. You don't know what to say? Your example is the best rhetoric. Wives sometimes are pulling their hair out because their husbands are just such a mess. I can understand that. And what does Peter say? Peter says, wives... Examples the best rhetoric. Don't talk back. Don't argue. Don't get involved in, in a meaningless competition. But he says to wives, in their silence and by their behavior, they will reveal to their husbands how he ought to live. Man. If more wives would try that, and the problem is that it takes a long time. Amen. You got to work at it and work at it and work at it. Same thing with husbands. It says, husbands, you love your wives. And the husband says, I love my wife. I told her yesterday when we got married. I mean, or 20 years ago, whatever the case may be. But the problem is that loving your wife is an ongoing thing. It takes time. You can talk about your wife and talk about what she needs to change and what she needs to fix and how she needs to behave and all that. But I got to tell you, husbands, loving is a silent, silent majority. It's powerful. But you have to continue loving quietly. You have to continue loving silently. Same is true with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he lived his life a lot. We read a lot about what he wrote. We know he said a lot. But the fact is that he didn't say a lot unless he was in a place to say it, nor had a reason to say it. On several occasions, Paul strongly exhorted believers to follow him as he followed the Lord. So for Paul, leadership equals follow. Leadership equals follow. Follow me. In fact... In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Or a bit further in the book of Philippians, he says the following in Philippians 3.17, my friends, I want you to follow my example and learn from others who closely follow the example we set for you. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul writes, So as your father in the faith, I want to encourage you to live as I have lived. Imitate my life. 
What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. So we look at Paul, and Paul sees himself as a leader, and his primary motivation is my life, my example. Follow me as I follow Christ. Point number three in your outline is Timothy. Timothy was, mo- was a model of servanthood. A model of servanthood. And he says in Philippians 2.19 and 2.22-24, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And then 22 through 24. But you know of his proven worth, Timothy's, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Timothy. I don't know how much you know about Timothy, but it's worth mentioning. Timothy was was a, a child. He was born, he was a native of Lystra. Lystra is a modern province of Galatia. During that time, now it is part of Turkey. His mother Eunice was Jewish in her background. Timothy's father was probably a Greek and probably pagan. Paul led Timothy to Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 it says about Timothy, Timothy who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. It was probably when he went to Lystra on his first missionary journey when Paul did. And that's found in Acts chapter 14. Both his mother and grandmother were believers according to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Check out some of these facts. By the time Paul wrote Philippians, Timothy had been his constant, almost constant companion for about 10 years. With great affection, Paul spoke of him as my true child in the faith, as my beloved son as my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, as my faithful fellow worker, and as our brother. Timothy was with Paul in Corinth. Timothy was sent into Macedonia by Paul. Timothy accompanied Paul on his trip into Jerusalem. Timothy was associated with Paul in writing the letter to the Roman church, to the Letter, the second letter to Corinth, to Philippians, to Colossians, both Thessalonian letters, and his letter to Philemon. Timothy served as Paul's troubleshooter in Corinth. Timothy was Paul's troubleshooter in Thessalonica. Timothy was Paul's troubleshooter in Ephesus as well as in Philippi. All of that to say that Timothy proved himself. Ten years of walking with Paul. Ten years, all this stuff. Ten years being intimately related with everything. He was a faithful and dependable model for the Philippians to follow as well. A model of servanthood. Paul was leadership. Timothy was servanthood. He was 
He was tried and true as a servant of the Lord and a servant of Paul. He was sent on this mission to Philippi in order to assess how they were doing and then to get back to Paul. It was another one of those special trips for him to come down, check on the people, and get back to Paul and tell Paul how they were doing. For, for Timothy, stewardship, excuse me, for Timothy, servanthood equals faithful, faithful. He was faithful or dependable, whatever you would want to put. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says you should think of us as Christ's servants who, get, who have been put in charge of God's secret truths. The one thing required of such servants is that they be found faithful to their master. It's required of a steward that they be found faithful. As a believer and a servant, Timothy was faithful. In Philippians 2.19, verses 22-24, Paul identifies in that passage seven characteristics of Timothy that are worth following. I'm going to give those to you because they reflect the kind of person he is and the kind of person that he's modeled for us. First, Timothy was a kindred spirit. He was of kindred spirit with Paul. He was well taught in the scriptures. He was highly thought of by the believers who knew him. In many ways, he was like Paul, his disciple. The first part of Matthew 10, 25 reminds us that it is enough for the disciple that he becomes like his teacher and the slave like his master. Over time, Timothy came to think like Paul. <laughs> Timothy became a person who related to believers and unbelievers the way Paul did. Timothy began to evaluate ideas and situations like Paul would have. Timothy began to trust in the Lord like Paul did. Timothy began to pray and sound like Paul. No surprise. No surprise, he hung out with him for those years. He was also invested greatly in the work, preaching and teaching and so on. So he knew what was at stake. So he was of kindred spirit, one spirit with Paul. Second, Timothy was sympathetic. He was sympathetic. The people at Rome that Paul looked at to choose, they had their own concerns, they had their own focuses. But Timothy had his concerned for the people at Philippi. He was concerned for their welfare, so he was sympathetic. He was sympathetic to them. Third, Timothy was characterized with being single-minded. Single-minded. He was focused. It's no wonder that Paul could say, Timothy, go check this situation out. Give me a report. Go look at this situation. How do we do this? What do we do there? What's happening? So Timothy could take a little bit of information and he knew exactly what Paul was wanting. He didn't need to have a seminar. He didn't need to have a, a discourse about all that he needed or wanted because he was able to take the little bit that Paul was asking for and knew what it meant. 
to go do it and to come back. He was single-minded. Fourth, Timothy was seasoned. Timothy was seasoned in the faith. No training needed, no newbie. He'd been there, done that. The church at Philippi knew of his worth. They knew of his worth. They knew who he was. They wouldn't have to get to know him. They recognized him. They would understand him. And so he was seasoned. Fifth, Timothy was submissive to the Lord. He was not only submissive to the Lord, he was submissive to the Apostle Paul too. He wasn't the servant of the Apostle Paul. He was the servant of the Lord and served with the Apostle Paul. They did so much together, hand in glove, that uh, you might even think that Timothy was, was involved in, in a lot of the stuff, which he was. He was submissive to Paul because Paul taught him everything about ministry and about the Lord. Six, Timothy was willing to be sacrificial. Timothy was willing to be sacrificial. In fact, there's no evidence in Scripture that Timothy ever married, ever had children, ever devoted himself to a career, ever did this or ever did that. Timothy devoted himself to what? To the Lord, to ministry. He devoted himself to ministry. He devoted himself in the latter years we read about his preaching and teaching. In fact, Paul wrote to him in 1 Timothy and said in chapter 4 and verse 12, he said, don't let anybody despise your youth, Timothy. Be an example. There it is again. Be an example. Example is the best rhetoric. So this is who Timothy is. Timothy was a servant. And Timothy expressed his serving by being faithful. Faithful. Paul was leader. Leader was done how? Follow. There was an expectation that Paul was going to have people follow. Timothy was faithful as he was served. What about Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus was sacrificial. Epaphroditus was sacrificial. Look at, look at on the screen, verses 25 to 30. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you and and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and would not, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. By the way, the last part of that, uh, you might think Paul was being negative toward the Philippians. He wasn't. He was saying, you guys are so far away, you couldn't do what, what Epaphroditus did when he came and was with me. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's one thing to be say, I'd love to help you. You just live in North Carolina. 
I mean, I'd love to help you. But if you're in North Carolina, you say, man, I'd really love to help you. But I'm across the street. It's really rough. I can't get across the street. That'd be like, what? You know, Epaphroditus was right there. He went to Rome. So he's basically acknowledging the Philippians had a desire. They had a purpose. They wanted to do this, but they couldn't. And so they sent Epaphroditus to do it for them. The Philippians held Epaphroditus in highest regard and they trusted Epaphroditus implicitly. He had the soul of a servant, had the courage associated with his trip to Rome where Caesar could change his mind at any time and decide that he was going to execute Paul and execute all of those who were with him and all the people that he knew. So Epaphroditus laid his life on the line. He wasn't concerned about that, but he went. Courage to change. So he went. In this passage, Paul gives five titles to Epaphroditus. Five. Let me just run through those really quickly. The first one, he calls him brother. Calls him brother. Second one, he calls him a fellow worker a fellow worker, referring to their common spiritual efforts to advance the cause of Christ. Third, he calls them a fellow soldier, referring to their common spiritual struggles against the common enemy that they had. Think of it, brother, worker, soldier. By the way, he gives all of those to Epaphroditus in this passage but Epaphroditus was not all of those at the same time. Epaphroditus was his brother first. Became a fellow worker second, and then became a soldier. It's just like in the military. You come together, you become brothers. Then you learn to fight together, work together, and then you end up fighting battles together. Yeah, so there's a process and that same process is also what took place here with Epaphroditus. But here in this passage, he calls him all three because he had come to that place. And the, the fourth and the fifth thing that Paul calls him are this. He said, your messenger, talking about the people of Philippi, your messenger and your minister to my need. Referring to the fact that they, the Philippians, became in need of sending someone with a financial gift and someone to go minister to, to Paul, and they chose Epaphroditus. While in Rome, Epaphroditus became extremely ill, as he says in the passage, to the point of almost dying. But it didn't die, and Paul says, thank God he didn't die. He said, God had mercy on him, and God had mercy on me too because I don't know if I could handle it if he died. So he, he came back and he's ready to go, come back to see you. Anyway, Paul wanted to send him home to the brothers and sisters with thanksgiving. He wanted them to receive him with joy. They wanted them to be excited about his return and he wanted to find out how they were doing and what was happening with them as well. Receive him with honor, he says in this passage. 
He sacrificed Epaphroditus, did everything out of love for the Lord. Paul, the beloved believers at Philippi, they were concerned so much that they sent him on his way. So his sacrificial quality equals love. Equals love. Now this is true of all of us when you have to love one another. Paul loved, Timothy loved as well. But Epaphroditus just flourished in, in his love for the believers. Love. So when you think about it, you have these three people, right? We've got Paul and leadership. Follow me. You have Timothy. And Timothy was what? Servanthood. And the key to that is be faithful. Be faithful to what you're doing what you're called to do. Epaphroditus was sacrificial and he showed that in his love. All right. So those are those three. Now you have on your notes number five, which is blank. It says you. You. And instead of you, you can write your name. Cross out you. What would be the quality for you? Leader, Sacrificial, servanthood, what would that be? Hebrews 13, 17, we mentioned it last week from a different translation, but here in the voice it says, listen to your leaders and submit to their authority over the community, for they are on constant watch to protect your souls, and someday they must give an account. Give them reason to be joyful and not to regret their duty, for that will be of no good to you. What is it that you bring to the table? What is it that you bring to the community of the church? And sometimes that'll shift because of other responsibilities, but what is it that you bring to the church? What is it that you bring to the community, and how does that look? How does that reflect itself? Paul was basically, follow me, Timothy was basically, I'm faithful, period. Epaphroditus was, I love you. I love people. Well, who are you and what do you do? Who are you and what do you do? I'm asking you that and I want you to take some time this week and pray and ask the Lord to help you to fill that out. Help you to fill that out. Remember, people are indispensable. People make up the church. People are critical to the church. People make the church. People break the church. Breaking stuff's easy. Making stuff is hard work. Well, not always. I, I've been told that, that uh, sometimes it's easy. For example, I, I backed the, the excursion up against the gate and I I was distracted by what was going on on the street. I went too far. And we have a beautiful gate and one of the gates, one of the rings and one of the, the wooden planks in the gate, I decided to make a hole in it. <laughs> went pop. I thought, oh, great. And Isaiah in his brilliance says, oh, Dad, that's easy to fix. 
And I was thinking to myself, easy for you. I mean, I'm, I am not mechanically, I'm mechanically declined, not mechanically inclined. Anyway, uh, that's another story, but some stuff people think is easy. Those are the people that ought to do it. You ought to do what you're good at. You ought to do what you're gifted at. You ought to be what you were made to be. So don't sit there today and think, oh man, i got to write down in here, you know, leadership, pastor, bishop. <laughs> you don't have to do any of that. Just write down who you are. And what do you contribute? What do you give? What do you bring? And remember, whatever you bring... With Paul, his leadership, follow me. With Timothy, servanthood, being faithful. Epaphroditus, what was him? Sacrificial and? Love. Boy, you guys are listening. That's great. <laughs> so the thing is, they did what they did, and they were good at what they did. They were good at what they did. So what sets you apart? What are you good at? And you can bring all things. You can be all 10 or 20 if you want. But you can be all these things for the benefit of the body. And remember, whatever you give out, you're not losing anything. Whatever you give in sacrifice to the church and to the Lord, you always gain in return. You always gain a return. Sometimes it's a little bit hard. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult. You know, if you're going to teach, you find that teaching takes time to prepare. Teaching takes time during the service. But you always get a blessing from that. The people that are involved in rotation with singing, they have to be here early on, on, on Sunday. They have to be here during the week sometimes. But you don't find any of them saying, man, what a, what a hard thing I have to do i got to be there early to sing. Well, you know, ask them, and you'll find that they love to come. They love to be here on time. They love to be here early. And they're a blessing to us, and we receive a lot from them. Same thing is true when it comes to whatever you do, whatever you do. Yes, you have to make time for it. Yes, you have to make a plan for it. Yes, you might have to sacrifice some of the things that interest you in order to interest the things of Christ. You might have to do that, but you'll be a benefit for it. The greatest benefit of all is the sacrifice of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus Christ gave everything? Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. And you'd think, man, he gave it all up. He gave it all up to get it all back. He gave it all up so that you could put your trust in Him. He gave up His life to gain a family. And every one of us receive from what He gave up. He has a huge throng of people. In fact, all of heaven is full of people who trust and know Jesus Christ. We know a lot of the people there. And one of these days, we'll all be there. Every single one of us. So if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior, you need to just simply recognize it's simple. It's, it's not complicated. Just simply recognize 
that he died to save you from your sins. Ask him to forgive you from your sins. Ask him to save you. And he will. And he will. Father, we pray your blessing on this time now. We thank you so much for for your word. We thank you for these truths. Teach us your ways, we pray. We thank you so much for loving us. What an amazing and wonderful, wonderful God you are. In Jesus' name, amen.